Time to travel with Taran Key. Well, it's that time of year again when the amazing team at Kirstenbosch National Botanical Garden head off to the Chelsea Flower Show in the UK. And once again, they'll be striving for a gold medal. It'll be hopefully their 34th in their 39 years history of exhibiting. And the theme for this year is In Harmony with Nature. And joining me now is Sarah Stress, Kirstenbosch Marketing and Events Manager. Sarah, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello, Sarah. Oh, we seem to have um, lost Sarah. She was there a moment ago, seemed to have lost her. But uh, in the meantime, let me just remind you, I talk about this every week and I'm still waiting to hear from you. I'm hoping to institute again this year, as we had last year, the My Town feature. And you were amazing last year when I asked you to tell me about your favorite places in South Africa. I called the project My Town and your response was absolutely fantastic. Well, I'm hoping that this year you will again let me know about those special places. Perhaps it's somewhere close to where you live or perhaps it's somewhere you've been on holiday. It doesn't have to be a big tourist attraction. It just could be something you've seen and enjoyed. And it would be great if you could drop me a line about that. You can do that to travel at safm.co.za or you could post something on the Facebook page, Travel on SAFM. I'd love to hear from you so that we can share all those wonderful places with the rest of the listeners. And as I did last year, in some cases, I even invited the listeners to join me on the show to talk about their discoveries themselves. So start thinking and start emailing or posting on Facebook. I'm looking so forward to hearing from you again this year. Hopefully we'll have some fabulous um, places to go again. Well, let me just reintroduce you again and tell you that once again, it's that time of year when the amazing team at Kirstenbosch National Botanical Garden head off to the Chelsea Flower Show in the UK and they'll once again be striving for a gold medal, hopefully the 34th in their 39-year history of, exhi- of exhibiting. And the theme this year is In Harmony with Nature. Joining me now, hopefully she's on the line, is Sarah Stress, Kirstenbosch Marketing and Events Manager. Sarah, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, Karen. Good evening. It must be all go, go, go at the moment. It is, yes. We're getting all the, the, the last things organized now to get our team over to London, get our uh, permits organized for the plant material that needs to go over. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting times again. It's not that long to go. It's what, the 20th of May is when it opens. It runs, what, the 20th or the 24th of May? That's correct, yes. And our team is leaving on the 10th of May to start building our exhibits. How long does it take to do that? Because I actually was at the launch last week and it's in four, there's sort of four different habitats that have been constructed. I mean, David does this, David and Ray again, doing the most amazing job. So just tell us a little bit about the exhibit. Well, uh, yeah, the exhibit takes us a week to to construct in London. It's uh, uh, 100 square meters. And uh, this year's design is called In Harmony with Nature. And it is actually, it it is looking at how nature inspires uh, design. Um, And this year they have indeed uh, done a design that has four different sides to it. And each side shows um, a different habitat and um, a, a construction in it that was inspired by, by nature. Uh, two of the sides are actually inspired by features at, uh, at Kirstenbosch. The one is the new tree canopy walkway that is in, uh, in, in progress at the moment at Kirstenbosch. It's being finalized and will be open to the public soon. And that is a, a, a canopy walkway where people can see the trees and the whole construction is inspired on the skeleton of a snake, uh, of a boomstang to be, to be precise. So they, the, the forest, uh, the, uh, the forest habitat at Kirstenbosch, uh, in, in our garden, it's the, the enchanted forest, will be depicted and uh, then 
the construction of the, the boomslang tree canopy walkway within that. So, yeah, there are four different areas um, uh, that are shown. The other one is a, a functional ecosystem, um, such as the mountain ravine habitat at Kirstenbosch, uh, Skeleton Gorge. And then another area will also be um, a Fainbos area with a contemporary Fainbos garden. And we, we always have to have Fainbos at, at, at Chelsea. That is so popular there. And then our last area will be uh, Savannah a habitat of the Limpopo province. So it's, it's quite different, all the four different habitats that you're going to be exhibiting. But there's also one very special addition to the design this year with Madiba. That's right, yes. We felt that we, we had to pay tribute to him this year. And uh, it's, it's, it's a small um, feature on our exhibit. Just, yeah, um, you know, show show uh, our respect to him and 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 pay tribute now in this uh, this first year that we are exhibiting after uh, Madiba passed away, and uh, we will have uh, like a mosaic almost of uh, a photo of him, but that will be completely made out of rosettes of uh, proteas. So within the the different shades, uh, the different shades will be used as a mosaic to depict his his picture. So uh, it's quite a fantastic idea that uh, David Davidson and Raymond Hudson came up with. And, uh, yeah, we can't wait to to see that come to life. Now, the thing that always fascinates me, though, Sarah, I mean, you talk about one of the one of the habitats that are going to be at the Chelsea exhibit is the Enchanted Forest Habitat. Where do you get the trees or the flowers or the bushes? Where do you get all the stuff over in London? I mean, you take a lot of it with you, but you can't surely take all of it. Well, we, we, we actually do take just about everything. Um, there are a few plants that, uh, but that is usually things like uh, ground cover or so, uh, small things that we buy in um, uh, Europe. And that is simply because so many of our plants are now grown in Europe as well and we can get them there. But actually a thousand kilograms of plants are taken to the UK. All the trees and so on that, that, that you mentioned, they actually do get taken over. So uh, we source them in, in South Africa. Quite a few will come from our national botanical gardens from of Sandy um, all over the country. And, uh, yeah, they actually get uh, flown over to, to London. That's actually quite amazing. I mean, I was at the, the launch of the exhibit last week. Dr. Tanya Abrams, uh, the CEO of the South African National Biodiversity Institute, was talking there. And one of the things that she mentioned as well is that the number of people who come to the exhibit, and it's almost like a draw card when they see what we have here, they then want to come and visit South Africa. So it's, it's very much of a tourist draw card as well. Absolutely. In fact, the majority of questions we get at the exhibit in London is actually tourism related. People see our, our rich uh, biodiversity and, and our plants and they just really want to, want to come and see it uh, for, for real. So yes, it's absolutely uh, inspiring people to come to the country. And the, the show is visited by 160,000 people. So it really is a fantastic way for us to to inspire people to come and, and see our biodiversity here in South Africa. Are you part of the team, Sarah, that's going over? Unfortunately, this year I'm not going over myself, no, but I am uh, coordinating things from this side. How big is the team that goes from South Africa? 
Well, we have our two designers, David Davidson and Raymond Hudson. Then we have uh, uh, three horticulturists who are growing. One will actually be going as the team coordinator on the ground, and then two will assist with the construction of the of the exhibit. And uh, we also have uh, our marketing director going over. And in addition to that, a whole lot of volunteers are actually joining the team. Some are South Africans uh, who are going over for the occasion. Others are either South Africans or even some some British people who have befriended the team over the years uh, who will be joining, uh, who, who stay in London and who will be joining the team there. And they just volunteer their time and uh, even pay for their way to to the flower show to go and assist us and um, yeah, make this happen. I don't know how we would do all of this work without them. Well, I'm, I'm fingers crossed we're going to come back with yet another gold. Oh, it's, we hope so. <laughs> it's our 39th year that we are mm. exhibiting and we are. it, it would be, if, if we're lucky, it will be our 34th uh, gold medal. So now, yeah, let's hope. Um, the one thing we have to mention though, Sarah, because I think it was about four or five years ago, I can't remember exactly when it was, when we all got ourselves in a bit of a panic, when it didn't look like you guys were going to go because your sponsorship fell through. And very luckily, you've been sponsored for the last four years by the SA Gold Coin Exchange now. Absolutely. We have been so lucky. South African Gold Coin Exchange came to our rescue. That's, that's right. That was uh, four years ago. And they have been supporting us ever since. And we are so grateful to them. Um, they are... The product is just such a beautiful match with the um, the exhibit that we have, and uh, they also their the coins are also depicting a lot of South African flora. So it's yeah, it's it's a beautiful partnership that we have, and they make it possible for us to to continue this exhibition that has become such a, a long tradition. Now, for those who know Kirstenbosch, I mean, they know that this isn't the only thing that goes on at Kirstenbosch. I mean, you you are the marketing and events person there. You must be run off your feet almost twenty four seven because every time you turn around they're doing something else it's either the sunset <laughs> concerts or there's something i mean you've got the big plant fair coming up now that's right that is this weekend we have a uh, annual plant fair which is also in the 39th year where all our uh, 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 fantastic rare and endangered species and so on of uh, indigenous plants are are sold so that people can also plant them and uh, uh, you know, help us conserve these plants. So, yeah, it's true. There's always something <laughs> happening at Kirstenbosch and, and so many different things happen. And it's, it's incredibly exciting. It's such a wonderful place to, to be at. It's, it's, a one, it's a wonderful venue um, in itself. Um, you know, there's the restaurant there. There's, as I said, the Sunset Concerts are very popular. So, I mean, people, yes. whenever they're on, you always know, do not, if you're not going to the concert, don't drive anywhere nearby because the traffic <laughs> is, the people just yeah, scream we had, in we there. Yeah, we had a fantastic season this year. We actually had... Um, and 93,000 people visiting the concerts over this year. Wow. So it is, it is magnificent. It, uh, it's, it's become incredibly popular. And, yeah, Kustenbosch is just so beautiful. Sitting at the concerts, um, uh, watching the mountain on, on the slopes of Table Mountain. I mean, yeah, it is, it is a unique setting. It doesn't get better than that. It's true. <laughs> and you get to go there every day to go to work. I mean, people wouldn't believe that was actually working, Sarah. I mean, really. It's true, yeah. People actually often ask me, do you actually get paid to do this? But, uh, 
I'm one of those lucky ones. <laughs> Absolutely. Gosh, well, Sarah, it's all terribly exciting. And coming, what I said, I was going to be running from the 20th to the 24th of May. So all of you out there, please keep your fingers crossed. We need our 34th gold medal from Chelsea. I'm sure we will. The, the, the exhibit was fabulous, the one I saw it last week. Absolutely amazing, yet again. So I wish you all the success in the world. Hopefully, keep the fingers crossed. And uh, don't work too hard until then, Sarah. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Thank you, Colin. Thanks so much for joining us this evening. Thank good, you. Good night to you. Sarah Strace is the Marketing and Events Manager at Kirstenbosch National Botanical Garden. For more information on Kirstenbosch and all the fabulous things that go on there, take a look at www.sanbi.org, and that's S-A-N-B-I. And I'm sure, just like me, you'll be wishing the team well as they fly the flag for South Africa and come home with another gold. And I thought we'd have some music now, rather apt music it is. It's Queen with I Want It All, and that's exactly what I want from the Kirstenbosch exhibit.
Well, that's pretty much how I feel about the Kirstenbosch exhibit. I want it all and I want it now. And I pretty much feel the same about rugby. So it's a really good time to play that song because I'm going to talk to you now about the Springbok Experience Rugby Museum at the VNA Waterfront in Cape Town. It's been shortlisted for an International Museums Award, which is rather amazing considering they only opened in September last year. Well, this modern interactive museum explains the country's complex but proud rugby heritage. And to tell us more, I'm joined now by Andy Cahoon, General Manager of Corporate Affairs at the South African Rugby Union and the de facto museum director. Andy, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Karen. Rather exciting news about I have to talk about this award first because I'm so impressed. <laughs> well, we were uh, delighted and a little bit surprised. Our, our developers uh, put us forward. Uh, we knew we were being put forward, but then to be shortlisted in, um, I suppose, the, uh, one of the premier um, museum awards in Europe was, was fantastically gratifying. We're just really pleased to be, um, to be listed. We're, we're alongside um, two Dutch museums, a um, museum from Belgium and the Olympic Museum in Lausanne. Um, so there's five of us on the shortlist. Uh, so our little um, rugby museum down at the bottom of Africa to be rubbing shoulders with the National Archives of, um, of the Netherlands and, uh, and the Olympic Museum in Lausanne is, is fantastic. Seriously impressive stuff. I mean, because it's the Museums and Heritage Awards. That's right, yes. They're an annual set of awards. There's uh, nine um, different categories. Um, there's, there's one award for an international um, installation. It's been won by uh, museums in um, Oslo, uh, in, in Dublin, in uh, Washington, um, D.C., um, in the Gulf. So it's, it's been around the world, the award. Um, I couldn't find that it's ever been um, in, in Southern Africa before. In fact, I know it's not. So we're, we're holding thumbs, but um, yeah, tough competition. Yeah, if you could make sure we do win it, it's on the May the 14th because that's the week before the Chelsea goal that we're going to win. So, you know, I'm just planning my winning thing for May. So it would be really good. You'll, you'll, you'll be able to um, wangle that trip to, make, uh, to go up and do the double. I think so. I think we'll have to make a plan here. But now tell me about this museum because it's, it's a completely unique. It is an experience, but a rather unique experience. Well, exactly. What we wanted to do was to move away from the idea of a museum being um, old boots and old jerseys and display cabinets and lots of reading and and um, an experience where you've got to work hard to take something out of it. So we start off on the ground floor with um, with an interactive game zone, which we call the Springbok Trials, and we finish off with with a with a seven minute movie. I took um, I took a conservator from from Switzerland Switzerland around today who knew nothing about um, rugby union. She was very interested in the artifacts that we've got on display, um, but she was most enthused by the movie at the end, oh, really? <laughs> and she thought it was great. So you can you can try to pass and kick and um, uh, and uh, do a handoff challenge and a fitness challenge like a springbok, um, at the sort of the fun element, um, and then we have the movie at the end. But in between, we have got some um, old boots and old jerseys, um, but we tell the story in a very um, modern and interactive way with lots of audiovisual projections, with touch screens where you can. And um, choose your subject area and, and see old footage and, and choose what you want to interact with. We've got a section around politics as well, so you can go and look at things like um, the Sharpeville Massacre and the Soweto Uprising, the, the imprisonment of Nelson Mandela, to put rugby in its, uh, in its full South African context. And it's, it, it's a room, that, it's a, a gallery that's full of, um, full of noise and, and, um, and full of atmosphere and, um, and presented in such a way that you do go on the journey of, of South Africa's story seen through the lens of rugby. The one thing you mentioned, the politics and the, the political side of it, but I mean, the, it also it talks about the hidden story of black rugby history, which is something that really I don't think has come out before. 
Well, we had a museum at, um, at Newlands, which was um, uh, pretty much under-resourced and, uh, and not really curated at all. And it didn't really tell um, the black rugby story. So what was, was critical when I was given the responsibility of bringing the museum up to date was to capture um, that story in, it, in it as much as we could. The issue has been all the way through is that we, we haven't got a huge amount of artifacts relating to, to black and colored rugby in the pre-Unity era, but we made sure from the very first um, wall panel and the first graphic and all the way through that the story of, of black and colored rugby is told as completely as, as we tell the story of white rugby. So one of the first things you see is an, an audio-visual animation of a famous painting of a, of a rugby match um, in South Africa, in, actually on Rondebosch Common in the 1880s. But what people don't really see is that down the right-hand side, there are Malay supporters wearing red fezzes. So our animation and our actors talking as if he's the artist, the German artist who paints it, talks about that. And then right next to it, our first wall panel has a, has a picture of a, of a black rugby team from the 19th century. So where we can, we've leveled the playing field and brought that story um, as much to the fore as we can. Although the traditional story is where the artifacts are and where the, where the major history is, and there's just a lot more of it. So... That is a major part of it, but we have uh, begun the process, certainly, of, of trying to level the playing field in terms of the historical story. You've got some wonderful things there. I mean, the, the, I think one of my possibly, well, two of my favorite things that I know that are there are, is the Rugby World Cup, firstly, and Francois Pinot's number six jersey, because I still dream about that day. <laughs> Well, we've got a, a marvellous installation there as well. Francois was fantastic. We interviewed him for, for more than an hour, and um, he tells the story of the Rugby World Cup from his perspective. And uh, he, he, reliving that, he got quite emotional. The crew, as they were filming, got quite emotional, and that all comes through in this audiovisual. It's a touch screen with a spinning rugby ball, and you can select which part of the tournament you want Francois to tell you about, and he tells you the story. And then right next to it, he's been kind enough to, to loan his number six jersey to us. Um, we phoned him and said, Francois, we're opening a museum. We want your jersey. And he said, no problem at all. We asked uh, Joel Stransky yes, if he could have his boots. boots um, the boots that the dropped famous the famous boots, yes. And, th and they're sitting right there as well. No problem, said Joel. We asked John Smith if we could have his 2007 Rugby World Cup captain's uh, winning jersey. And he said, of course. Well, it's just stuck in a cupboard at home. Of course you can have it. So we've got, we've got that uh, on display as well. So we've got some really iconic um, South African rugby um, uh, artifacts. I still have the T-shirt that's got a, a picture on the front of the Springbok with its foot on the kiwi um, <laughs> from that that day, and I'm, it's, it's one of those days. I don't know when you in America people talk about where were you when Kennedy was assassinated, kind of thing. And I've talked to people and say where were you when we won the Rugby World Cup, and people still to this day have memories of that. So going to something like the rugby, the, the Springbok experience, that all comes back, and it's a very emotional time for a lot of us here. It was a very powerful moment, and we've, we've been collecting feedback from our visitors, and a lot of them pick out the 1995 section as, as their favorite moment in, mm. in the experience because it gives them the chance to go to back to that, that very special moment where, where, well, Kennedy wasn't assassinated. He was re resuscitated on that day for yeah. South Africa. Now, the, the other thing, I was reading about some of the artifacts you have there, and I was very interested to see you have something, an oil painting called Springbok Girl. What was that all about? There's a, there's a painting that sits in the, uh, in the storeroom at the World Rugby Museum at Twickenham. Um, it's never been seen in South Africa before. And it is the painting of a young lady called Kathleen Trick, 
who was the daughter of a member of the London Welsh Rugby Club, um, which is obviously in London. And they were a family of, um, of rugby enthusiasts who were supporters of the Springboks. And when the Springboks were in tour, on tour in, um, in London in 1906, they attended uh, one of the London Borough Banquets, which was a fancy dress. And Kathleen Trick um, borrowed uh, an authentic Springbok um, kit from the team. Um, she wore it to the fancy dress party, and she was painted uh, life-size. Um, a father arranged it. The painting was lost for many years. Um, uh, it was found and restored, and we borrowed it, and it's now on display at our museum. So I'm, I'm quite proud of that artifact. Um, um, it came out in an enormous crate from, from London, and um, we, we've got it now proudly on display next to uh, a 1906 Springbok jersey of, of Yapi Kricha, who was one of the first, well, he was the first superstar, playing superstar of South African rugby. Just listening to what we're talking about here, people hopefully are getting the idea that it's not, as you said, all about old boots and jerseys. There is just, it really is an historical journey through our rugby history here in this country. I mean, one of the things I was reading about as well that you have is something called the Book of the Unwelcome. Yes, that's a, an extraordinary artifact. Um, in 1981, as your listeners, uh, well, the older ones will remember, um, the Springboks toured New Zealand. It was highly controversial around the world, particularly New Zealand, and it tore that country apart. Um, brother was torn against brother. Uh, families divided over whether they should support or abhor the Springbok um, visit. Um, when the third test was played, 40% of New Zealand's police force. The entire Two Island police force was on duty to make sure the game went ahead because of the protests and the demonstrators. But when the team arrived, they were given a book of welcome by the New Zealand Rugby Union, which was um, uh, letters and uh, congratulations and thank you for making the tour. Um, the protesters, um, being aware of this, they then set about producing um, the book of unwelcome, and they collected signatures and petitions, and they wrote letters, um, hundreds of letters to the, uh, the Springboks. They then collect, collated them, had the book bound, um, presented it to the South African Rugby Board um, at the end of the tour and said, we want you to put this on display in South Africa so that your nation understands um, the depth of feeling um, that we have for um, in hating apartheid and that we did not want you here. Well, the amazing thing is that the South African Rugby Board retained that. Um, it went into our archives, and um, as we were putting the museum together, we came across it, and it's now, 33 years later, it's gone on display in the museum. Gosh, as I said, there's, there's, there's so much stuff. How long does it take to go through this entire museum? Well, um, we would say if you if you, you can go around in in less than an hour, but we had um, um, we're on TripAdvisor. I was just reading one of the recent reviews of a family from Bristol in the UK who said they'd been there for three hours, um, and that while they were there, they they had they had a great time, and they'd had uh, three um, South African schools go through at the same time, and who were equally gripped by it. So it it's really as long as you want to do it. Um, it's it's pitched at many levels. You can browse and see some interesting things and, and relive some excitement and, and be in and out in, in less than an hour. Or, as I say, you can, you can be there for, for quite a long time. You've also got the Match Centre and the Heroes Gallery, which is rather nice. Yes, um, uh, because we wanted to have a wow and to be much more than just a static exhibition, we have um, our gallery of heroes, as we call it, where you can interact with with um, current Springboks, with um, with touch screens on the wall that you can spin Brian Habana around and beast them to a weir and, and see them from all angles. And on our match centre, it's a collection of 
famous Springbok matches from down the years. And um, just touch the screen, our, our first footage is from 1931, um, the oldest uh, Springbok footage we have, Darnie Craven's debut against um, Wales in Cardiff. And you can uh, watch um, some of that game and listen to commentary. We've got uh, Frick Dupreer and uh, Manikis Rue footage. We've got the World Cups. And you can, and you, it's a smorgasbord of uh, famous uh, Springbok games that you can, you can relive with commentary. Now, you mentioned right at the very beginning that you could go and test your own skills and try your passing. And Is this something that you could come and do maybe as a team-building exercise? Yes, we've had lots of fun with it. Um, in fact, we've, we've got an unofficial competition running to see who, who can get the highest score on the, on the handoff challenge. And um, over, over the December-January period, we, have, we had a couple of um, rugby players in competition with each other. But we've also had um, um, uh, companies coming around on uh, amazing races, um, find the fact, chase the fact, and, uh, and, playing, and playing the games as, as real team builders. Has this surpassed your expectations, Andy? It's been... It's been a great relief that we've had <laughs> such a good response. We've, we've obviously spent some money, and, and uh, our CEO, Yuri Ru, took a bold decision to move us to the waterfront where people, uh, lots of people have access to it. Mm. But um, we, were, we were very confident that we had a great South African story to tell. It is, it is South Africa's story. It is about the growth of the country, about, um, about the, the country's um, the, the divisions and then the, the coming to unity. Um, so we knew we had a very powerful story, and it's a, a story that would surprise people. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm very pleased that um, the eventual um, display and um, an expression of that in the way we've done it has, has, has really reached out to people. Well, it sounds like it seems to be well accepted if you're getting written up on TripAdvisor. I mean, that always seems these days to be the ultimate thing. If people are saying really good things on TripAdvisor, you know you've kind of made it. We're, we're, we're climbing up the rankings uh, for, for Cape Town. That's great. So now just tell people again where exactly you are and when you open and how we get tickets to go there, that, all that sort of thing. Yes, it's very straightforward. It's open um, every day of the year, apart from Christmas Day, so you don't have to worry about weekends. It's just open all the time. And it's from 10 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock in the evening at the V&A waterfront. Uh, at the, um, just look out for the rugby poles. If you know the V&A, you'll know the big wheel. Just um, turn and look um, towards the mountain direction, and you'll see a set of rugby poles. We've got full-size illuminated rugby poles on the, uh, on the lawn outside the museum, and we're, we're right there just across from Mitchell's Brewery. It mm. costs 50 rand for an adult, 30 rand for scholars and the over 60s, and then we've got group discounts as well. And is this booking through web tickets, or can you book at the door? You can book through, through web tickets, but, um, yeah, it's, it's so cheap. It's, um, you'll, you'll find back, back change pocket will get you in. And can you buy at the door as well, or do you have to do it on, at web tickets? No, it's, uh, it's, we've got um, a reception. You can pay at the door. Oh, so you can do either one or the other? Yeah. Okay. And as you said, every day except Christmas Day from 10 until 6 and last entry, I think, is at 5.30. So, you know, but then you're only giving yourself half an hour. It's not really worth it then. Rather go for a longer time. Um, Any sort of grand things you're still looking for, big sort of items you're still hoping to have in the museum that haven't quite arrived yet or that you haven't been able to find yet? Well, there's, there's, there's one artifact that everybody in the world would like to, to find. Um, we, we don't think it will ever be found, which is Nelson Mandela's number six jersey from, from <gasps> really? 1995. Really? Is that gone missing? Um, I, I don't think it was ever lost particularly. I don't think oh. it was ever found. I think it might have been one of those things that was a spur-of-the-moment decision, and it was uh, Madiba removed it after the game and probably just put it down and got picked up, and, and nobody really oh. realized what they had in their hands. So that's one thing, but, but I'm, I'm glad you asked, Karen, because just about a half an hour ago I, I tweeted out um, that we're, we're particularly searching for African rugby artifacts, and there are, there are two trophies, one called the Parton Trophy and one called the Zonk Cup, Z-O-N-K, 
um, which was a, a magazine that um, sponsored um, a provincial African rugby competition. Um, and we haven't got any African uh, trophies in our display at all. So I've sent out a picture of those trophies. So we are we are on the lookout for African rugby artifacts well, as, if, as well as Madiba's jersey. Well, if anybody has any of those things, they can always drop me a mail to travel at safm.co.za and I will with only the greatest of pleasure passes on to Andy and he will be very happy. So go and scratch around in the cupboard. Maybe you'll find something that will be very useful and might find its way into the Springbok Experience Museum, which is going to be winning a medal, hopefully, in May. I, I hope so. Well, I'm banking on this, Andy, because I like, I like to get my own way. And if I've got the Chelsea thing coming up on the 20th, I'll, this would be nice to start it off on the 14th. So I shall expect a trophy. Is it a trophy? What is it you're going to win? That's a good question. I don't actually know. I'm just, I'm just so excited to be to be listed that I haven't. Maybe there's a check as well. I well, that would be looked. nice. That would be rather fun. Yeah, that would be that rather way. nice. Andy, it sounds absolutely fabulous, and it's one of those sort of must-go to destinations when you come down to Cape Town if you don't live here anywhere. But uh, for all of you who come down on holiday, I think definitely make your way down to the waterfront, as I'm sure most of you do anyway. But as Andy said, look for the illuminated uh, rugby posts. You can't, can't miss them, and uh, pop in and go and have a fabulous time at the Springbok Experience. Andy, thank you so much for joining us this evening and for telling us all about that and we'll all keep our fingers crossed for may the 14th thank you very much i'll call you from london please oh yes please do from the from from the uh, the dinner or whatever it is at as you're holding the trophy or the plate or the medal or whatever it is you can tell me you've won it that'll be fabulous Thank you. Andy Cohoon is the General Manager of Corporate Affairs at the South African Rugby Union and the de facto museum director of the Springbok Experience Rugby Museum. For more information, you can take a look at www.sarugby.co.za and just click on the Springbok Experience button. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, joining me in studio this evening is... Leslie and Steve Whitehorn. Well, I was reading their blog and I'm exhausted just reading the thing. They are about to leave on this absolute trip of a lifetime. It's Cape to Cairo to London. Leslie and Steve, welcome to the show. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Thank right, you so, so before we get into where you're going, why are you going? Because we can. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought about that. <laughs> No, it, it's always been uh, a Cape to Cairo thing originally uh, for many years. Everybody seems to like this Cape to Cairo thing that they attempt. Getaway Magazine did a whole trip. Uh, they, they wrote a book about it, and that was pretty much the source of all the information. And it got me very excited reading through what they had put, put out. But when we eventually got to the, the thing, we get to Cairo, and we sort of thought, then what? And I thought, well, we've got to ship back, or we've got to drive back, and there's a whole lot of logistics involved. So I thought, well, why don't we just go to London? You know, we're halfway there, we might as well travel. You know, as one does, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I've never flown there, so we never might as thought well just about drive there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Leslie's never been sort of out of the country as such. I mean, we've done a few trips in Africa, but never, you know, she's never been overseas. So we thought we'd just go the slow way. So tell me about, because this isn't your first adventure. This is your biggest adventure, but it's not yeah. your first one. So tell me about some of the others that you've done. Well, we, we started first with a trip to Mozambique, and we took our girls and one of our daughter's boyfriends, and that was great, and we went for about three weeks. And then we started on our own, and our first one was Botswana and Namibia, which was stunning, and that was for four weeks. And each trip that we've done, when we get to the end, we say, you know what, we could still do this for longer and live out of a tiny little suitcase for longer, just recycle the clothes and everything. And that's what we started almost preparing for that as we did. But the last eight years, we've been talking seriously about driving up to Egypt 
and so it's just evolved further than that. So before you actually leave South Africa, though, you're going to look at some stuff here because I always say it's a beautiful country. So there's a few places you're going to explore before you leave South Africa. We've done quite a few trips through South Africa that we hadn't been to. Drakensberg being one of them. We went to the Richtersfeld, done a bit of the Karoo. But the one that we just didn't get to was Khalakhadi Game Reserve, which is the old Kalahari Hemsport Park. So we're actually going to be doing four nights there on our way out. So it's pretty much a straight route out. It's only taken us two days to get there. But uh, we're going to stop off at Tankwa, Karoo National Park. We've been there. We like it. So we're going to spend another night there on the way out. Yeah. And then you're going sort of hanging left, as they say. We're hanging left because we love Namibia. Namibia is an absolutely magnificent country for, uh, for photography and just the wide open spaces. We did quite a few of the must-dos that we thought were must-dos when we did our first trip. But there's a few places we've missed and we'd like to, to go that way on the way out. The other option was Botswana, but there's a lot to travel in Botswana before you actually get to the game reserves and that. And we've seen and we've been we've done that route. So we don't really want to go that way again. So you know, because we enjoy Namibia, that's where we want to do. And then Leslie sort of kind of moving into a little bit middle of, yes. of the continent. Yeah, we're going across what was the Caprivi strip. And it's now called the Zambezi, called Zambezi region. region yeah. yes. <laughs> and then into Zambia. And yeah, that's quite exciting. We've been to Vic Falls, so we'll just go across and, you know, visit the Vic Falls again because it's just lovely to see. And then from there, we'll travel back up towards the East Coast now. Yeah, we didn't really want to go through Zimbabwe first, although we will probably go back there one day as well. So how long are you planning? I mean, you're going up the East Coast, you're sort of hanging a left veering into the middle and then hugging the east coast yeah. all the way up well that's the traditional the east coast is the traditional old colonial route as they call it you know the highway to cairo was the old colonies the british colonies um, so that i think is the easiest route at the moment especially when you're looking at the fact that we're traveling alone a lot of people do it that way and it's there's less unrest along that route as well so we're trying to keep it as safe as we can as far as routes concerned and then we sort of get to the end. You sort of get to Cairo and then you hop over to Europe. Yes. Which that sounds fabulous. That's going to be amazing. Oh, that yeah. sounds incredible. And I must just tell you as well, we probably won't drive into Egypt because oh, yes, the I read about that on your wants, blog. Yeah, the AA wants 200% of the vehicle value. So as before you leave. So that's just crazy. So Sorry, why? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, why? The car, <laughs> that's the, it's the requirement by the AA for the car net deposit that you have to put down. So depending on which country, they have certain values. And this is that the most expensive of the ones we're going through? That is the most expensive of the ones we would be going through, yes. Gosh, so 200% of the value of your car. Yeah, well, it works out to, you know, as a deposit. You yes, do get, you get it, get it back, back if you, you bring your vehicle back into the country, which is the other thing. But you, you weren't planning on doing that anyway, not, were you? Not initially, no. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> wow, it's so a what, bit you, of a what are you going to do? So you're going to stop where and leave it where? No, what we'll do is we found that we can bypass Egypt, we'll go through from Sudan and we can do catch a ferry across to Saudi Arabia. Uh, we get a transit visa to go through as long as you get a visa in to get into Jordan first. Oh, okay. So from Jordan, we will try and do the local transport into to Egypt because we'd still want to go to Cairo. We still want to go see the, the pyramids and that sort of stuff for mm. ourselves. It's just a bit more logistics that we have to go through. I was about to say that, but I mean, you guys must be logistical masters at this point. Well, I don't know. Well, there's, all, yeah. there's all the planning, but, you know, planning and the reality is two different things when it comes to Africa. So we've made the plans. We'll just see how they work out. 
uh, and see how it goes. Sure, okay. But uh, the, there's an added cost it's, uh, to get into Egypt as well because um, there's supposed to be a road from the south into Egypt, but I'm still undecided about whether it's actually open or not. So the traditional way is to gain by ferry. So you, you've got additional ferry fees and for us as passengers on the ferry to get up the Aswan Dam to to um, actually get into Egypt. So that adds another, I don't know, quite a lot of dollars onto the price. So <laughs> mm. <laughs> okay, okay. Right, just suck it up. Yeah. Right, yeah. Now, now you're heading out of Africa into Europe. Yes. I mean, that's going to be fantastic that's for you guys. That's amazing, and I haven't been to Europe mm. either. Yeah, no, it's deep, so that's well, I haven't exciting. either, so I'm turning, oh, green. I'm turning <laughs> very green at the moment. Okay. Yeah. And to drive, you know, it's just more exciting because you've got the chance of seeing all the view. Or what did you want to see, basically. Exactly, and I've taught Steve that when I say stop, it means now, oh. not 20 kilometers further down the the road because you have the most amazing photography opportunity mm. and you want to do it right then while the light's good and whatever else so that's going to be something that he's going to have to get used to so where well. are you going <laughs> you're going through once you, you oh, turkey is your last and then you're off to greece albania montenegro croatia bosnia herzegovina i mean yeah, it just goes on <laughs> slovenia italy switzerland france and then the uk i just had to read yeah. that all out so everybody else could feel as green as i was okay <laughs> so now i feel better now well if you think we probably we've worked it out if it takes five months that's about 200 kilometers a day which doesn't sound like much but especially when you're in africa that takes a long time mm. to get through 200 The roads aren't all that great and you yeah. might be detouring and all that And you're going thing. really slowly, yeah. yes. So in Europe, we probably average at about 300 kilometers a day to catch up for... Or maybe not. Or maybe not, maybe yeah. Maybe not. If you're shouting stop all the time, you exactly. might take longer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just sleep less. Yeah, that too. Yeah. But do you have a dead sort of set a time that you have to be somewhere at a certain time i mean because no. now you're seeing you have to do 200 no. or 300 kilometers no. a day no. i mean if you do 100 kilometers a couple of days is it's that going to be a crisis no no that's to do it in five months so that's how i work that you out. have to no uh, you don't have so to okay i feel it'll probably take about seven months can I get, you want to get a word in yeah. it? Yeah. See, it's all to do <laughs> These with... These two women here, Steve, you don't have no, much no. choice. Yeah, <laughs> just carry on talking. Okay. It's, it's two real things that, that sort of influence it. The one is we, we need to get into Europe when it's summer because mm -hmm. we're camping. We're on a low budget, so we, we need to camp most of the places. Because oh, it could get a little chilly can get very in chilly. a tent. Okay. <laughs> so we're trying to make it by summer and so that at least we don't freeze. Uh, the other thing is obviously we, we, we govern by how much money we've got. The rand and the dollar just don't agree and neither does the euro. So we have a limited budget, which is why we're camping everywhere we go or trying to. It's not possible in some countries. So yes, we also limit a little bit by budget. So depending on how we do financially going through Africa will obviously depend on how much we go in Europe. Um, just for an example, I did a bit of a, a little exercise with the cost of diesel in December, uh, sorry, no, January. And the cheapest diesel we will be buying would be in Saudi, which is 88 cents a litre. And the most expensive diesel we would be buying is in Italy, which is 28 rand a litre. Yeah, that's what I'm Sorry, I'm sorry, but speech is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 28 rand a litre. Yeah. For diesel, sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, the Europe average is a little bit lower than that. It's around about 16. And that's obviously rand. the conversion with the rand and the euro and yeah, everything else. Yeah, this is expressed in rands at mm. the time in January. Uh, with a conversion at that time. Obviously, we need to get a bit of an update, but it's an approximate. You can't sort of have like a whole lot of cans that you buy some here on the 88 cent litre <laughs> one and just carry it with you <laughs> to Italy. In Saudi. You know? <laughs> yeah, we well, just take it from Saudi to Italy. <laughs> we just need to find a camel yeah, or two. Actually, actually, we will work that a bit because, you know, if you're going from one country to another country, you want to actually fill up in the cheaper mm, one. Absolutely. So you either carry fuel through a country 
or you only fill up when you get, you know, so we'll have a bit of logistical oh stuff. Oh, my said logistical masters well. by the end of all of this. <laughs> yeah. We have three um, extra jerry cans for fuel on the oh, top of the back here as well. Wow. Yeah. So what are you traveling in? I was going to get to the vehicle of note here. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a 2005 Mitsubishi Colt Rodeo double cab, 4x4. Four four. But it it's, won't be double cab. We're taking out the back seat so that we can put in more, <laughs> more of our equipment. Putting our wardrobe yeah. in there. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> how, how, I mean, I've actually looked. I'm going to give out your blog here so people can have a look at it sure. i mean your your packing skills are quite notable yeah we've got used to that we've had yeah. practice <laughs> lots of practice. the last few trips and we're still making changes you know even after four trips um that we've done we we still adjust, adjusting and adapting i suggested to steve that we take the back seat out because it's the huge big double seat and i thought that that's probably about 100 liters which is pretty much 100 liters of food you know, which you could use. So that'll also make a huge difference. But clothing-wise, we're not taking much. And I've also shared in the blog that I do this outreach program, which is... Yes, you're going to be knitting. Yeah, crocheting. Crocheting. Yeah, I can't yes, knit. <laughs> yeah, no, I but, shouldn't have said um, knitting because I can't knit either. No, so. But crocheting you can do while you travel. And I've always had a passion to help little babies, and we've been doing that for years. So Steve supplies most of the wool, and the rest we get as donations. And since I've chatted to people, they've actually donated as well which some of them blankets and some of them wool so we've got to fit our blankets in to distribute as we go up africa as well mm, this is just going to go with very few clothes <laughs> oh, well. now what, what about the, you you talked about food and stuff what are you taking with you and how are you going to be cooking well is this campfire yeah. stuff all, yes. all the time campfire and gas um steve's made a drawer system which we put a few of the things in and he's actually built a very simple little one plate stove into that which is gas and that pulls out, and then we've got the ammo boxes, as they call them, but they're more modern than that, so they're, they're big black boxes. And we put our food, our provisions in there. And then we'll take a spare with five kilograms of flour, five kilograms of pasta, etc., because you don't always get them up Africa. And even in our northwest Cape trip, we northwestern... Richtersfeld, yeah, Richtersfeld. We often went days before we could find a loaf of bread or a tin of tuna or something. So we've learned that we actually need to take at least a month's provisions with us wherever we are. So, Steve, mechanically, you must be the ace mechanic here because you're going to have to obviously sort out any problems. I mean, how much in the way of spares and all that sort of stuff are you carrying with you? That's always the big question. Depending on what vehicle you drive, how many spares. Now, uh, fortunately, the vehicle that we drive is not very complicated mechanically. hasn't got any fancy suspension systems on that. It is a turbo diesel. So I was fortunate in that Mitsubishi allowed me to take my vehicle into them. And then they did a, a, a whole assessment of what they thought needed to be replaced or was, was a problem. Fortunately, there wasn't much to be done. There's a bit of steering components to replace. Um, basically, that was all. And then, obviously, I had to service it. I changed all the oils and that sort of stuff. So I'm busy with doing that at the moment. We're doing the steering linkages and that and replacing those. Taking and a clutch with? Taking a spare clutch because I don't think the clutch has been replaced and it's sort of at the mileage where I think it should have been. And you're quite comfortable to have to replace it if you have to. I, well, I, I don't know if I can yes, do it. Can. I've never done it, but I've got the workbook <laughs> oh, to well, do it. It's the workshop and it's something. But at least if I do find a place that can do it, you've got the spare. I've got the spare, which is the big problem is finding the spare. So we we're not taking obviously the, the normal belts and pipes, hose, you know, water pipes and that sort of spares and all the filters. I'll do my own servicing. Six and, tires and a set of brake pads, <laughs> and we've got. Two, two spare wheels, I've got a tube, I've got puncture repair, you know, the normal 
standard mm. stuff that we take with, and we could probably, hopefully, nothing serious goes wrong. I'm always very envious of people like you that sort of take the bull by the horns and just do these things. A lot of us sit around on the couch watching these wonderful things on television and saying, gosh, I'd really like to do that. And never kind of getting there to do it. Yeah. But you guys are sort of planning this. You, we want to do this. And now you're about to, when are you leaving? 30 days. Seventh <laughs> of my voting day. Oh, voting day. We're going to vote and, and, and drive. <laughs> yes. We're going to vote and drive. Yeah, yeah, I, I, so I take my hat off to people like you that actually don't just sit there looking at it on TV and saying, gee, I'd really like to do that, but yeah. never actually going out there and doing it. Exactly. Yeah, it takes a conscious effort to, uh, to actually do that. We were like that as well. You know, mm. we said we always had this dream, always had this dream, and then we thought, okay, we could go when the kids have finished school because, you know, they've got to be working and looking after themselves. And then my youngest daughter wanted to go to varsity. The other one was already studying. She was also at varsity, so we were actually looking at what the younger one was doing because she was, mm. you know, they start last. And then after she finished that, it was like, I want to do my honors. And then we said, okay, we're delaying by another year. And then it was master's, and that's another two years. And I'm thinking, I said to Leslie, we've got to make a decision. <laughs> yeah. So about 14 months ago, 13 months ago, I said to her, we are putting a peg in the ground now, and we're going that date. We're going to actually set the date. And say, you know, it's like two friends getting together that they haven't seen each other for like must five do years. coffee. We must do coffee, and it never works. You got to say, okay, take out your diary. Let's make the date, and that's what we did. Um, <laughs> and it has been difficult keeping to it, but we're almost there. More um, or less. Yeah. So, how, how do you feel now that you've made this actual final decision? It's thirty days away, and you're off. I, I feel absolutely fine. the The biggest thing to me was when we'd sold and moved out of the home. And somebody said, oh, you can go home now. And it was like, I don't have a home. <laughs> and then Steve answered really nicely and said, your home is with me. So that made me feel better. Aww, so, Steve. A little bit embroidered on that. She, she, no, she found me in tears. And I'm thinking, what's wrong? You know? <laughs> she said, yeah. I don't have a home. <laughs> oh, but you, you, I mean, honestly, men will be actually very envious of that now because that was the perfect response. Perfect Sorry. answer. <laughs> that was the perfect response. Yeah. Oh, he well, scored way about brownie points. I to do some quick thinking. I mean, what's the bright thing to say right now? Serious brownie points. Serious brownie points. But I must say, we're really going to miss our girls. And that mm. was part of why, you know, I really got upset because we suddenly realized we weren't ever home. We're leaving the girls behind and obviously family and friends. But you know what? We just. I'm sure they could fly and meet you. Yeah, the yeah. plane took it away. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's still, that's still our girls. It's still, you know, I know. No, I know. Like, you know. And it's it's actually leaving them, which is, is going to probably be the, the worst. You know? and especially yeah, my young, start crying. Sorry, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, my youngest, I mean, she's only now move, moving out of the house into a new job and okay. we're leaving. You know, mm. it's quite a traumatic thing for any kid, at, at, no matter what their age, you know. So, and we, I feel quite quite bad about that. But, you know, life... <laughs> Life now, as you go. said, how many more years would you then have to wait? Yeah, to make, exactly. I don't yeah, think, yeah. especially leaving, leaving your kids, I don't think if you waited, so let's wait another five years, it would have been the same emotional sort of yeah. thing, I think. Yeah, exactly. but if they're out of home for a while and you've already got that sort of separation. Yeah. It's not distance, it's oh, just a bit of separation. My son was out of the house mm. for a couple of years and then he went overseas mm. for a year to work and I was crying at the airport. So, oh, okay. no, so it, doesn't go it, doesn't, it doesn't actually help. <laughs> it no, doesn't, it change doesn't help. So, trust me, it doesn't make but a difference also, at all. We also feel that we want to do this while we're still young enough mm. and well enough, you know, because Steve's had a health scare as well. So, we just want to make sure that we're able to do it, you know. 
And then but it's not getting any younger. Coming up <laughs> into a rooftop tent is quite. <laughs> I always said it's getting old thing is not for sissies. So. You, have, you haven't tried getting up to a rooftop tent yet, have you? No, well, no, I wasn't planning on it anytime <laughs> soon. Though. The whole thing, my listeners know that. I mean, for me, roughing it is anything less than a four-star hotel. So I don't think uh, I would have coped some, with you in your tent. Like that too. Don't think I would have coped in the tent, to be, especially on the top of the roof of the of the vehicle. I don't think so. Yeah. You feel safer up there. No, I'm sure you do. I'm especially sure with you the elephants do. walking around. With yeah, less likely to get tramped on. So. Yeah. yeah, but. The this sounds absolutely amazing. So, what you're reckoning on five or six months? Yes. Possibly seven. Yeah, depending. I think about seven. Yeah. Uh, he's Steve shaking his head here. You'll, they'll get, uh, but you might have to stop a lot. She yeah, didn't I'm mention that stopping part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, but, and the other thing we need to do is get a satellite telephone so that we. Yes, I'm hoping you do because I'd love to catch up with you as you're traveling. So I'd love super. to sort of find out where you are, how many times you've had to stop, what you've seen, and what you've taken photographs of, and where you are on any particular day when I call exactly, you. Yeah. I'd love to be able to contact you while you're traveling. That'll be amazing. Mm. But we're looking for a second-hand one at the moment. But they're like hen's teeth. Well, so if anyone listening to this has one, you can contact me. Just email amazing. me. It's travel at safm.co.za. Just drop me a mail and I'll put you in touch with Leslie and Steve if you have a second-hand satellite phone to uh, part with. That would be great. So basically, it's not the Cape to Cairo trip. It's Cape to Cairo to London. Yes. That's it. And, and then with a sort of slight detour on your Irish passport to Ireland at some point. Yeah, we'll Make get me there. even more we'll envious now. <laughs> I'd love even to see Dublin. Even more envious now, yes. There's yeah. so much to see there and to I do know. there. It's fabulous. I'll get there one day. And I'll be nice and green there. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Green and grey, apparently. Yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> yes, that, that's exactly what I've heard. But guys, congratulations. I think it's an amazing step forward that you've taken. And I wish you much luck and success on this trip. And it sounds like a fabulous adventure. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank Aaron. you for joining me on the show this evening. Thank you so much. Great. It's been lovely. Thanks. I was chatting there with Leslie and Steve Whitehorn, who are leaving in 30 days to explore the world, basically. And if you'd like to follow them, um, their blog is very detailed, lots of information. And I'm sure Leslie and Steve will be keeping it up to date as they travel. You can have a look at it. It's Rayburn, R-A-Y-B-Y-N, Rayburn.wordpress.com. And if you've missed that, or if you also have a secondhand satellite phone for them, they're looking to buy one of those, you can contact me, just email me, travel at safm.co.za. Well, that's it for Time to Travel for this week. But before I go, just a reminder of the My Town feature. If you know of anywhere fabulous in the country, there's something wonderful where you live or something you've been to see and just want to share it, just drop me a mail again to law. Oh, gosh, that was that was Monday night. Travel on safm.co.za um, or have a look at the Facebook page, travel at safm. No. I'm sorry, it's the other way around. It's travel at safm.co.za is the email address and it's travel on safm is the Facebook page. Before I get even more confused, I'll say thank you very much for joining me tonight and hand you over to Stephen Kirker, but not before telling you that on Monday evening next week, just after nine, in the Law Report, it's our law clinic, our monthly law clinic with attorney Nicolene Skumanlo. So join me for that. And I, as far as I know, it's the 14th of April next Monday. Here's Stephen. <laughs> I Thank know, you. It's one of those nights. It's too many people doing too many things. I think it was the rugby that got me. I was, I was so the rugby. The rugby. I, I thought maybe it was you. You're, you were thinking about climbing onto a rooftop temp, t- no, tent, oh, and no, it got you no, flustered. No, 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 no. I think you might have heard me say anything less than a four. No, I know, but the thought of that probably got you upset. I think it it was the memories of the World Cup. I'm still sitting thinking, remembering the World Cup. Oh, well, there you Mm. go. Thank you very much, Karen. Inspirational people um, heading off. Yes, my wife and I keep talking about doing something mad and crazy like going on a sailing trip for a long time or uh, drive through Africa for a long time. 
people do do it. They don't just sit around talking about it and uh, hear them on uh, Time to Travel next week, Wednesday, when Karen Key returns. Uh, just gone 10 o'clock, uh, SAFM's nighttime music through till midnight tonight. Uh, it is the news time.